Well, we come this morning, uh, maybe an understatement, to one of the greatest truths in all of the Scripture. That would be fair, I think. There are certain truths, all of the Bible is true, but this is one of them, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. It is a wonderful statement in Scripture. I bet you if I called half of you up and put a microphone on you, I bet you maybe half of you could just recite Ephesians 2.8 from memory. Now, as you turn there to Ephesians chapter 2, remember that it is the spiritual biography of how sinners became saints. And the key to understanding chapter 2 was bound in chapter 1. Do you remember there in verse 19? He's teaching us how to pray, and he prays that we would understand, verse 19, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, which he worked in Christ, here's the prayer for power, when he raised him, verse 20, from the dead, seated him at his right hand, in the heavenly places. He's praying that we would understand something of that power. That power that caused Christ to be raised, caused him to be exalted, caused him to be seated in the heavenly places. Look in chapter 2 verse 5 is us now when he says we were dead in our trespasses and sins 2:5. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that power that caused Jesus Christ to be transformed from the grave up to life and seated him and raised him is the same power that resides in you. So what Paul is doing here in Ephesians chapter 2 is really presenting a biography. It's our spiritual biography. And he paints that biography in 2, 1 through 10 through three different avenues. He shows us our past condition in 2, 1 through 3. Then he shows us that present transformation that took place when he made us alive. And we left off last week at the future submission. The future submission, you'd be answering the question, why did he do this? Look down in the text at 2.7. Here's the purpose clause, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us, who, who or toward us in Christ Jesus. And so he, he's wanting to show us in the future that He's going to display us, if you will, it's what it means, as a trophy of his grace, and it's going to display not your choice of him, it's going to display God's grace in you is the thought. Now, as we come to verses 8 through 10, you'll note that he begins there with what we call a, a clause in verse 8, for by grace you have been saved. And what Paul is doing in the text here is he is telling us why, verse 7, in the ages to come, grace will be put on display toward us who know Christ. I think the theme would be this, is that through time and eternity, forgiven sinners are designed by God to be a masterpiece of his grace. And I want you to do a favor for me this morning. Don't let the familiarity of this text blind you to the truth. You know this text, many of you. Some, maybe you're a guest and you're going to see it. But don't let the familiarity of Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 blind you to the exposition. In fact, the joy today as we've been teaching through the book of exposition, I'm going to show you 2, 8 through 10 in the sequence and exposit it for you. In fact, I just say this, I don't have to say it, but you know this, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 is the very heart of the gospel. People always talk about being a gospel-centered church, and I would think that anybody who's an expositor or churches that exposit from the Scripture are all gospel-centered. 
But this is the very gospel. You may have been coming for weeks or months, and you might say, what is the gospel? Well, I'm going to spell it out to you in a crystal clear fashion as it comes to us out of the word of God. Let me read the text. You follow along in 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Now, as you follow the flow of of Paul here, we're going to look at three reasons why, okay, in the ages to come, salvation will display the riches of God's grace. There it is. Three reasons. That's the flow of the text. Why in verse 7, in the ages to come, salvation, your salvation, is going to display the immeasurable riches of his grace. Here's what we're going to look at. You're going to see salvation by grace, for one. Two, salvation through faith. Okay? And then thirdly, salvation for works, okay? So it's by grace, through faith, and for works. Let's dive into these reasons why this would be true. Look at verse 8, and we'll note this as salvation is by grace. And it has that classic statement, for by grace you have been saved. Now, our church, you're, you're sitting in Grace Church of the Valley. We named it the men and those founding families 13 years ago because it's such a core doctrine. We're Grace Church, and we decided at that point, did those families, to not call it Grace Church of Kingsburg, you know that, because we wanted to be Grace Church of the Valley because this message of grace, uh, we want to go through all the valley, and ultimately, we heard this morning, around the globe. Now, that term grace is a magnificent word. It is used more than 150 times in the New Testament. And here's the best way to get it to you, just if you're taking notes. Grace just speaks of a, it's a divine favor. You could even call it a divine gift. And it's totally bestowed on undeserving people. It is a gift from God given to undeserving people. Now, the book of Ephesians is filled with this thought. Look back in Ephesians 1-2. He's mentioned it all over. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father. A common intro there, grace to you. In other words, God's favor to you, God's blessing to you. Look down in verse 6, after he talks about there being predestined and adopted in verse 5, to the praise, 1, 6, to, the, to his glorious grace. There we see that even our salvation is to the praise and honor of his, and he mentions it there, grace, but it's his glorious grace. Look at verse 7 of chapter 1. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. And it is out of those riches, look at 1.8, which he has lavished upon us. Go to chapter 2. You're well aware of this. In terms of our salvation, we who were dead in trespasses and sins in 2.1, in verse 5, he repeats it again there. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, it says that he made us alive together with Christ And then that refrain there, by grace you have been saved. So it's all over. Look again at at 2.7. We looked at it last week. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What is grace? It's God's undeserved favor towards people. And do you remember when we think of that undeserved favor, we were in 2, 1 through 3, dead 
in our trespasses and sins. We were, in those verses, totally depraved with no ability to seek God because we were dead in our trespasses and sin. And finally, we were doomed, it says in 2-3, that we were children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And so, by grace then, now in 2-8, you have been saved. You might ask the question just as we exposit and go through the text this morning, saved from what? And the answer is you've been rescued in the context here from hell itself. You've been rescued from God himself. You've been rescued from the wrath of God. He, beloved, very clearly pulled you out of hell, snatched you out of the fire, and he did it. Here in our first head is He did it by his grace. So the grace of God is not his love for people who deserve it. Rather, his grace reaches down to people who don't deserve it. And that kind of love is called grace. I think usually when we think of mercy and grace, and and sometimes we compare them, it mentioned mercy even last week in the text, mercy is an act of God an act of God that we, that we do not receive what we deserve. What we deserve is his judgment. And so God is merciful to us. He does not give us what we deserve, and what we deserve is condemnation. What mercy does is remove his wrath. His mercy, if you will, removes our sin, but grace is the gift of everything that he gives to us that we don't deserve. It is God's unmerited favor given to undeserving man. Maybe we could put it this way. Um, When you go to work, for many of you, men and women, you go to work, you get a paycheck, okay? You work for that paycheck. You spent time at that particular job, You merit that paycheck. But understand when we're talking about God's salvation and we're talking about God's grace in salvation, your salvation this morning is completely unmerited. Totally. And he gives it to not deserving man, but to undeserving man. In fact, it says it this way in Romans 4.4. Now to the one who works, this is 4-4, his wage is not credited as a favor, but what is due? If you go to work, you're due your wages. But you see, with salvation, it's all grace. There's an old tale, an old tale that speaks of a man who died and faced the angel Gabriel uh, at heaven's gates. And said the angel to the man, here's how it works. You need a hundred points to make it into heaven. You tell me all the good things that you have done, and I will give you a certain number of points for each of them. The more good there is in that the work that you cite, the more points you will get for it. And when you get to a hundred points, you get in. Okay, said the man. He said, I was married to the same woman for 50, 50 years, and I was faithful to her. That's wonderful, said Gabriel. That's worth three points. Three points, the man kind of cried out incredulously. He said, well, I attended church all my life. I supported the ministry with my money and service. Terrific, said Gabriel. That's certainly worth a point. And the man said, one point, and his eyes began to show a bit of panic well, how about this? I opened a shelter for the homeless in my city. I fed needy people by the hundreds on the holidays. Fantastic. That's good for two points, said the angel. Two points, cried the man in desperation. At this rate, the only way that I will get into heaven is by the grace of God. To which Gabriel replied, come on in. You know, we laugh and chuckle a little bit. But if I could just zero in that salvation is by grace, it is nothing you did. It is nothing you deserved. He extends his grace. This is 
out of the scripture completely by his favor to an undeserving people. It went on in Romans 4, 5, and it said this, the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies uh, the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. That's grace. It's not the one who works, it's the one who believes. And again, that grace is unconditional. It's not merited. Swindoll, the, the famous preacher, told of this account in his book, Grace Awakening, and it's, a, it's somewhat like, mm. I paused if I should share it, but I thought it might illustrate grace this way. He said in that book, imagine you have a six-year-old son whom you love dearly. Tragically, one day you discover that your son was horribly murdered. After a lengthy search, the investigators find the killer. And you have a choice if you used every means in your power to kill the murderer for the crime, that would be vengeance. If, however, you're content to sit back and let the legal authorities take over and execute him on a, on a fair and proper trial, the plea of guilty, capital punishment, that is justice. But if you plead for the pardon of the murderer, forgive him completely, invite him into your home, and adopt him as your own son, that is grace. Do, do you just begin to see why grace is so hard to grasp and sometimes so difficult to accept? I mean, very few people who are in the hearing of this right now would happily and readily do that. But I just want you to know that God does it every day. He takes the guilty, believing sinner who says, I am lost, unworthy, guilty as charged, and undeserving of forgiveness, and he extends the gift of eternal life because of Christ's death on the cross that it satisfied the demands against sin, namely death. In fact, at that point, God sees the guilty sinner who comes by faith as righteous as his own son. He even invites us to come home with him as he adopts us into his forever family. Instead of treating you with vengeance or even executing justice, God extends grace. Listen, I don't know what you think about all this stuff going on in all the religions of the world, but by the authority of the word of God, Paul is declaring that in the ages to come, he's going to show you off as a trophy of his grace because for all of eternity, what's going to be put on display is his unmerited favor given to undeserving man. So the first thing he says is salvation is by grace. But secondly, salvation, this is very clear, is through faith. Look at the text again. For by grace, his favor, you have been saved. And then this amazing statement, it's through faith. Now, what do we mean through faith? Faith simply but profoundly means to believe Christ. It means to trust in Jesus Christ. As you put that phrase together, we are saved by grace through faith or we're saved by grace through, I like to say it this way, the means of faith. Or to put it another way, grace is the ground of salvation, but faith itself is the conduit of it. Beloved, what faith is, is it's the means, it's the instrument by which the Holy Spirit, through his preached word, brings the sinner into a relationship with Christ. And so faith is the instrument through which the grace of God comes to us, but faith, as you know, is not an activity that earns us favor with God. In other words, we've said this before, you are not saved on account of your faith. Let me be clear here. Faith is our response but it is not your contribution. 
Faith, as we'll see in just a minute, is a gift of God. I mean, beloved, have you ever wondered why you're not saved by grace and through love? Have you ever wondered why you're not saved by grace through humility? Have you ever asked the question, why is it not saved by grace through commitment? Why did God choose faith as the instrument by which we are saved? And it is this, beloved. It is because faith is exactly the opposite of works in Christ. Salvation is by grace through faith because of what faith lays hold of. Faith, namely, lays lays hold of Christ. Someone likened faith as the empty hand clinging to the person of Christ. I mean, here's who are saved. It is by grace for those who have trusted in Christ who say, I can't do it. And you begin to come, you come, do you, to the end of yourself. Joel Beakey, um, a Puritan reform man who was with our staff, I don't know, some weeks back, he said this in one of his writings. Faith is not called a hand because it works our merits of justification in any way. He said, but because it receives, embraces, appropriates Christ and his righteousness. So what is faith? It is the hand that receives Christ and his righteousness alone. And the reason you're saved by grace through faith, and I wanted to say, I think some people think today they're saved by walking an aisle. They think they're saved by their faith. But whenever you look at the New Testament, faith always has a direct object attached to it, and it is the person of Jesus Christ. It's not your faith. It's faith in another. It's faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the best way I can explain faith, and I've used this many years in my ministry, for the acrostic of faith, F-A-I-T-H. Here's why it's by faith. Because, and here's what it is, forsaking all, I trust him. That's why it's the instrument. That's why it's the conduit, if you will. You're forsaking all, I trust him. In fact, the Horatius Bonner, the Puritan, said, Faith is not work, nor merit, nor effort. He actually said it is the cessation of all these and an acceptance in place of them what another has done completely and forever. So here it is. It's by grace and it's through faith. Saving power does not rest on some decision you are making. It is not the, that faith that saves you. It is faith in the person of Jesus Christ. So let me just ask you, are you trusting in him? You may be in fifth grade this morning. You may be in sixth grade. Where does your trust lie? You may be in junior high. You may be in high school. Are you trusting in the person of Christ? Are you trusting in nothing that you're doing, the cessation of all these, and in place what another has done? See, what faith does is it treasures his righteousness and you lose your own. It is seeing your lost condition, your utter despair apart from Christ. It is to feel the weight of God's judgment on you. I mean, that's all I knew when I came to Christ. I was in big trouble. I wasn't thinking of anything that I did or who I was as a person. I knew at that point that I was in deep trouble because God was holy and I had sinned. Listen, far from faith being a work, faith is a a realization that apart from him, his perfect righteousness, I will never be saved. And beloved, this is what the text is saying in 2.5, is that God makes you alive. He breathed life into you. You see the beauty of Christ. You see him lifted up on a cross who bore the penalty of your sin. The very one who stood in your place. It's all grace and you with empty hand because you cannot save yourself. You look to Christ 
forsaking all, I trust him. In fact, I love what Thomas Manton said. He said, with one hand, he said here, he says, faith has two hands. With one hand, it stretches out for Christ. And with the other hand, it pushes everything away that comes between Christ and the soul. I mean, this is the testimony of Scripture here in Ephesians. Think up on the screen, you're going to see some other Scriptures that come up. And this go, go to this one if I have it up there in Romans 3.22. The righteousness of God is through faith, and here's the direct object, in Jesus Christ for all who believe. In other words, Paul's after his argument here that salvation is all by grace. It comes through the channel of faith, but the object is in Christ. Romans 5.1 says that since we have been justified, there it is, by faith. In other words, you're made right. You get into a right standing with God. It says there, by faith, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's always by faith. This is the testimony of Scripture. Paul said in Philippians 3.9, he said, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. It's always through Christ. The instrument, and I've shared this with you before, is faith. Now, I feel like sometimes as I say that, I don't want you to become numb to that. Not all believe that. Of course, the Roman Catholics don't believe that. And if you're here this morning, I don't, I'm not trying to be uh, uh, caustic, if you will, or hostile. But I, I do want to tell you that that's not what their, their scripture, how they see it, teaches. Catholicism teaches that the instrumental cause for your salvation is what? What would they say? Some of you might think, well, it's works. That's part of it. I'll explain that. But they don't teach what Paul has just been teaching, that it's by faith, through faith. It's grounded in grace, but it's through faith. Catholicism teaches that the instrumental cause of justification is baptism. Like, I just, I just want you to know that. Now, you're welcome to talk to me if you're visiting today. You, you say, what do you mean baptism? Well, that's why they want to go get a baby baptized. Because if you baptize the baby, that is what they would say is the primary instrumental cause of justification. But it doesn't save you because then the sacrament of penance comes in whereby merit is achieved through works of satisfaction as the supplementary restorative cause whenever the grace of God's initial acceptance is lost through mortal sin. Listen, I just want to magnify it's through faith. It's by grace that you can't work for it. You can't earn it. There is nothing you did in your life or in my life that caused the love of God to come upon you. You say, well, why did it come upon me? Because of grace. Because of his favor given to undeserving man. The instrument that he uses is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not baptism. Now, obviously, faith has content to it. Faith is the content of the gospel. And one verse is Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, there's the content of the gospel. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You put your hope and faith in his resurrection. You will be saved. But look at the text again. This is where it gets interesting. He says, and by grace you have been saved from God's wrath through the instrument of faith. And then this phrase, and I'm reading from the ESV. And this is not your own, what? Doing. And you'd have to ask the question there in the text, what is the this? And this 
is not your own doing. Well, as you follow the exposition, the this is what he just said. It's both grace and faith. So Paul is extremely clear that neither grace nor faith itself are human works. It's not your own doing. Grace and faith come to you, but they come to you from the outside. They come to you from a divine source. And the divine source, look back in chapter 2, verse 5, is even when we were dead in our trespasses, what does it say? He, is the thought, made us alive together with Christ. So even the grace, even the faith, even those are not your own doing. Look at the text again in 2.8. It says, it is the, what does it say there? The gift of God. Grace and faith are both gifts of God. It is a gift freely given. Faith, beloved, is not something you work for, not something you achieve, not a decision that you make. It's actually a gift. It's a, it's a present. In fact, Paul said in Romans 3.24 that we are justified by his grace as a gift. As a gift. It speaks in Romans 5.18 of it being a free gift, and you understand that. It is in Romans 5.17 called the free gift of righteousness. So it is not your own doing. It is a gift. And the ideal of grace being a gift is opposed to any ideal of work, any concept of merit. And now what Paul does here is he then makes three negative assertions. I think he's still illustrating salvation is by grace. It's through faith. But to cinch in our minds that it's through faith, he gives us three counter-assertions so that we'd understand faith. Again, I have already spoken of one of those in 2.8 where it says, and that it is not your own doing first. It's not your own doing. The whole line of Paul's thought in salvation is God's initiation. It is his doing. Namely, he chose us. He one five predestined us. He took you who were dead. He took you who were depraved, filled with the world, filled with the flesh. He took you who were doomed to eternal wrath, and he showered his grace upon you. So first he says, it's not your own doing, but God is the one who raised you up. God is the one who made you alive. God, salvation here is by grace, through faith, and be clear. It's not your own doing. But there's a second negative. Look at it there. It's in verse 9. Secondly, it's not a result of what? Works. He makes it absolutely clear that our salvation has nothing to do with our works. I think when you think of works, it's any kind of labor mentally performed, physically performed, and I just think of the Apostle Paul. Do you remember that in Philippians 3? When he began to look at his status and his pedigree before he came to Christ. I mean, if anybody had perfect credentials, it was Paul. Do you remember when he said that in Philippians 3, that I was circumcised on the eighth day? I came from the nation of Israel. He said, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. He said this, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He said, as to the law, he said he was a Pharisee. As to zeal, here's what he said, he was a persecutor. He basically said he was found blameless. But then he went on in Philippians, do you remember? And he said, all this was lost. And he said, I want to be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. But that which is through faith, in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Listen, beloved, it's enough for me to say, and I'm not just citing this, I'm citing it for you. I'm citing it because some of you right now as I speak are trusting in something you're doing, trusting in something you've done, 
trusting in some kind of family pedigree, trusting in some kind of religious activity. But beloved, salvation doesn't come by confirmation. Salvation doesn't come by baby baptism. It doesn't come by church attendance. It doesn't come by membership, even though we have that class next week. You know this. It doesn't come by communion. It doesn't come by keeping the Ten Commandments. It doesn't come by giving to charity. It doesn't even come by being a good neighbor. None of that. In fact, I would actually say to you, hell will be loaded with people who did just exactly that. It only comes one way, by grace, through the agency of the faith. It's not your doing. It's not even a result of works. Certainly you remember without turning there in Luke 18, where the Pharisee was praying, and he was praying alongside the tax collector, and he said, God, I'm quoting Luke 18, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He said, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. And he went on. And you sometimes think he's just saying that. Oh, no. I think he lived it. I think that was his testimony. I'm not like this guy. I'm not an adulterer. And sometimes we have such a a response to the Pharisees that we think, They were hypocrites, and in some cases they were, but I think he meant this. He said, I'm not like this guy. He said, I do, I fast twice a week. I go to church daily in some people's mind. I give tithes of all that I get. And then the tax collector, you remember, standing some distance away, looking down, beating his breast, saying, God be what? Merciful to me. You say, Pastor, why? Why is it by grace through faith? Here it is. In fact, I don't know if I have this one up. Look over in Romans. I'm going to show you exactly why. I'm going to show you a scripture. I'll answer that question with a scripture. You say, Pastor, why is it by grace through faith and it's his merit to undeserving people? Well, there's this great scripture. Mark it down. Memorize it. He said... In 11.5, so too at the present time, there is a remnant, and I'm in 11.5 of Romans, at the end of 11.5, chosen by grace. Why is it by grace? Thanks for asking, 11.6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, here's the line, grace would no longer be what? Grace. You say, why is it Grace. Because it is by grace. And if it was by works, then it's no longer by grace. But it is by grace from start to finish, Genesis to Revelation. Listen, the work is done of Christ. It's all finished. Jesus on the cross, you know this, cried out to Telestai, it is what? Finished. Have you heard the story? True story about the guy who came to the revival meeting the night it closed. He comes to this revival meeting and the night it closed and as he, he came up, it was over. He could tell that they were taking down the, the tent and he came running up to one of the men tearing down the tent and he said, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? What do I do to be saved? And by that time, the evangelist was gone, the place was dark, and the worker turned to him and said, I'm sorry, it's too late. It's too late. Oh no, he said, what do I have to do to be saved? You can't mean it's too late. Yes, he said, it's too late. And then the man said, It's already been done. (laughs) Pointing, of course, to the finished work of Christ. He was right. There wasn't anything to do because it had already been done in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. It is by faith. 
Look at this in Romans. I think I have it up there. Excuse me, in Galatians, the next one. These are just mag, you know, powerful statements. Yet we know, and this is just reinserting. It's Ephesians. It's all over. That a person is not justified by works. Now, if you, if you think we're just joking around, listen, every other religion in the world teaches just that. That you're justified by what you do. Christianity is the only one that speaks of God's mercy and his grace coming to people who are undeserving. We know that a person, he's just affirming this, is not justified by works of the law, but through, there's the conduit, the instrument, faith, there's the direct object, in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ, trusted Christ, placed our faith in Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. What a statement. It says this in the next slide in Romans 3.20. You can check these. For by works of the law, it's nothing you do. No human being will be justified in his sight for since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Look at the next scripture. Romans 3.28, I believe. For we hold that one is justified by what? Faith, real clear, apart from the works of the law. In fact, Paul said this in Titus. He said he saved us. This is so clear. Not on the basis of deeds we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. In other words, he extended mercy to you when you didn't deserve it. He gave you his grace when you did not deserve it. So here he says it's through faith, but he says this. Number one, negatively, it's not your own doing. Number two, it's not a result of works. But he says one more thing. And you might say, why is it not your own doing? Why is it not a result of works? Look at verse 9 again. Go back to Ephesians. He says there in chapter 2 in verse 9, here's why. It's called the purpose clause. That no one should, what? Boast. I think you understand it. I don't have to tell you about that. To boast means to brag. It means to praise yourself. In other words, it's by grace through faith so that no one's going to boast. So you mean what happens in the end? There's the future summation that in the ages to come, he's going to put his grace on display, saving you and me who were not worthy of it. Why? So that no one should boast. Paul asked this in Romans 3.27, where then is boasting? Look at it. It is what? Excluded. You can't take any praise for it. If you're leaning back on some decision you made, listen, I understand sometimes making a decision, okay? I mean, even when God convicted me, I went in on my knees in my room and I confessed Christ. I suppose the prayer affirming what he did. But, but biblical truth and doctrine is really clear. What precedes faith and what precedes grace is another doctrine. And it's in Ephesians, and I told you that. He makes you what? Alive. He regenerates your heart. He causes you, let me say it in another term, to be born again. And that moment in which he takes dead people and makes them alive, he gives to you the Siamese twins that I call conversion, and the twins are that of faith and that of repentance. But your faith didn't cause that. He made you alive. He breathed life into you. Paul said in Romans 4, 2, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. But Paul says in 4, 2, but not before God. Do you remember when Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that God chose the foolish things of the world, God chose the weak things of the world, God chose the base things of the world, God chose those in 1 Corinthians 1, 9, that no one should boast before God. 
In 1.30 it says of Corinthians, but you are his doing in Christ Jesus. It says in 1 Corinthians 1.31, let him who boasts, boast in what? The Lord. So for all of eternity, we will be trophies of his grace because salvation is by grace through faith It is a gift of God. It is not your own doing. It is not a result of your own works. Why? So that no one would boast before God. I think we sang that song this morning. My hope, you could probably say it with me, is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and what? Righteousness. That's your hope. It's not in me and you. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on what? Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is what? Sinking sand. Your trust is Christ. Maybe he's opening your heart right now. Maybe the Spirit of God in some amazing way, you've been sitting here for months or years and he's opening your heart and he's going to do a couple things. He's going to convict you of your own righteousness. He's going to show you the beauty of Christ. He's going to show you the beauty of his cross and you're going to just say foul eye to the fountain fly. We sang it this morning. Wash me, Savior, or I die. That's the heart of a believer. So salvation is by grace through faith. And here's the last one. It might really surprise you. Four good works. Look at it in 2.10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It says we are his workmanship. Literally, in the Greek, it's poema, We get the English word poem from it. We could say we are his workmanship, but I like this phrase. We are his masterpiece. We are his masterpiece. Certainly not us, but his grace given to us. Maybe you've heard of the young teacher who had a child that he was teaching about the power of God how God made this and God created the world and God made this on the whatever day and so on and so forth. And the kid was just in this class kind of goofing around and in frustration, the teacher said, who made you? (laughs) And the the little boy said, God did, but he ain't done yet. (laughs) And he's not done with us either. In the ages to come, he's going to show forth his glory. But the amazing thing is, he created us for good works. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 1.6, I'm sure of this, that he who began, he who began, not you, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion, it says, at the day of Christ. Beloved, just rally this way. Those who were marked by sin, those who were marked by death, those who were marked by sinful depravity, now have been created anew. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus for good works. But here's what blew me away. Even here you can't boast about your salvation because even your good works, look at the text again, have been prepared when? Beforehand. (laughs) They've been prearranged by God. In other words, even your works don't get any credit because they're given to you by the sovereignty of God prepared beforehand. Let me explain. If you're not careful, you may be tempted to think right here that Paul is, what Paul is saying is that God puts forth a call to good works in response to his grace. You might think that. That's not right. In other words, you might think God has done something really nice for me. So why don't I do something really nice for God? But that's not what he's saying. He's not issuing a call to do good works in response to God's grace. He's pointing out that the good deeds is our evidence of his grace in our life. 
I mean, doesn't it stand, beloved, that because God prearranged your good works before birth, there can be no work that earns favor with God? Salvation is all of grace, even the good works that he prepared you beforehand. And then he comes full circle. Look at the text again. It says there that we, last phrase of 210, that we should walk in them. Oh, I love that. There's a, it's a command there to walk in them, but he's, you see the bracket in 2-2 where he says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, The spirit is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, you were walking, though you were a zombie, that way. But he came all the way back and he makes you alive. By grace you have been saved through faith. And he prepared then, is the thought, not only a people, but he prepared the works that you should walk in them. Now, beloved, you know that we are not saved by works but we are created for works. I like to say it this way. Faith is the root, but works will be the fruit. The root is your trust in Christ, and then out of the evidence of that grace, you will walk in the works that he designed you to do. Listen, all I know... (laughs) In the years to come, in the ages to come, you're not going to be anything special. I'm not going to be anything special. In the ages to come, he's going to take you who were under this lost past condition. He presently transformed your life. And in the future summation, he's going to put you on display as a trophy of the riches of his grace and kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. And then God gets all the glory. Listen, let me put it another way. Salvation is by grace. The reformers called that sola gratia. Salvation is through faith in Christ. That's sola fide in Christ alone. And salvation is for good works, sola Deo gloria, that God may be glorified. May he be pleased with us. You say, well, Scott, why, why do good works? Well, you know, my whole life, in essence, I've been seeking to walk with the Lord. Here's why I, or here's why you do good works. Because you're so stunned by his grace. You're so amazed by his grace. You would say with John Newton, I was once lost, right? I thought I knew the way. And then he said, but I was blind, but now I see. You're so focused on all that he's done for you that it becomes the greatest desire of your heart to honor him. For some of you men, you want to go preach at the prison. I mean, it's not just about work, is it? You want to go out there because you want to tell other people about the grace and the mercy and the kindness Maybe for some of you, you have something on your heart that you want to do, and the response is always, what has he done for you? You know, we're never going to be a church that makes religious service some kind of perfunctory performance. All of our ministry, Bible study this week, membership class, all is his response because of his amazing grace to us. Amen?